We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Before the bands Wilco, led by Jeff Tweedy, and Sun Volt, led by Jay Farrar, the two, along with Mike Hydorn, founded the Belleville band Uncle Tupelo in 1987. Known for being alternative country, sometimes called alt-country, the group's first album featured the title track, No Depression. Oh, fear the hearts of men are failing, for these are latter days we know. Great depression now is spreading. God's word declared it would be so. I'm going where there's no depression to a better land that's free from care. Uncle Tupelo never achieved great commercial success, but they toured throughout the U.S. and Europe, performed in and around Belleville, and were regulars at the now-closed Cicero's Basement Bar near Washington University. Jeff Tweedy recently released a memoir called Let's Go So We Can Get Back. Among other things, Tweedy writes about his childhood in Belleville and how Uncle Tupelo and Wilco came to be. St. Louis Public Radio's morning host Mike Schrand recently spoke with Tweedy and has more. Uncle Tupelo is often credited with creating the first alt-country album. It's a difficult genre of music to describe, but it has elements of rock, folk, country, and punk, among other styles. I talked with Jeff Tweedy on his tour bus and asked what Belleville was like when he was growing up in the 70s and 80s. You know, Belleville was having a tough time when I was growing up. Uh, The downtown area in Belleville had been pretty destroyed by the mall, the nearby mall. And um, a lot of the... uh, the industry that was there was struggling. Like there were there were a few breweries, and then they shut down. Stag Beer broke, uh, shut down. So aside from a couple of record stores that were oases, it was it wasn't a particularly happy place. I don't think. But you mentioned the record stores, so that was kind of a refuge that you found mm-hmm. with the record stores. And you also mentioned uh, magazines. Yeah, um, I would look at magazines while my mom shopped in the grocery store. And in those days when I was growing up, uh, uh, Cream Magazine was actually pretty exciting. It was a pretty exciting rock magazine that had a had a little bit more of an irreverence to it than Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone took itself seriously pretty quickly. And it was a whole different world in Cream Magazine than you're used to seeing in the Midwest. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were covering the musical trends that were happening primarily on the coasts at that time. So, yeah, I would be just kind of mesmerized reading about things that were still years away from becoming a part of our culture in the Midwest. Do you recall any particular point at which you just thought that or looking back where sound and music was your avocation or your your life? Oh, I honestly don't remember any time where I didn't think of myself as being a person that was going to be involved in music in some way, whether it was working in a record store or a radio station. Um, but um, I think I saw myself as a songwriter 
very early in my life also. So in high school, you met uh, Jay Farrar. Um, what was the common thread that sort of brought you together? Uh, punk rock. I think that we both looked at punk rock records as a part of our identities. And we also recognized that there weren't any other people that seemed to care about those records. So uh, I don't know. I, I think Jay and I finding each other in high school was, was a, a real stroke of luck, you know, like a, finding a message in a bottle or something. Tweedy says they pool their money so they weren't buying the same music, yet there were differences in each of their songwriting approaches. Jay seemed to be much more comfortable writing about a bigger picture, I think, than, than I ever was able to make sense of for myself. Kind of more of an external versus an internal form of... I think so. I think um, our, our macro versus micro or something, you know, like he, he was zoomed out by a power of 10 or something, and, and I was, uh, you know, still kind of fascinated by the, I don't know, the wood grain on the floor or something. <laughs> <laughs> An example of Tweedy's perhaps more micro approach in musical style can be heard in Wait Up from the album March 16th through 20th, 1992. You surprised me Hope I didn't wake anybody That's Jeff Tweedy of the then Uncle Tupelo on lead vocals and his self-described micro or internal approach. That style of writing juxtaposed to what Tweedy called Jay Farrar's bigger picture or macro approach to writing songs as heard in Grindstone from the same album. If you find yourself standing at the end of your line Looking for a piece of something Maybe peace of mind that I've lost and run down. Nowhere to hold on. Tired to take your place at the end, son. Get to you one by one. No light ever shines. Dead in tears that dry. Maybe a waste of words. Never waste of life 
Every hour will be spent Filling a quota Just getting along Handcuffs hurt worse When you've done nothing wrong No thanks to the treadmill No thanks to the grindstone There's plenty of descent That's Jay Farrar on lead vocals for Uncle Tupelo in the band's album from 1992, a demonstration of how Tweedy and Farrar approached songwriting differently. And when I spoke with Jeff Tweedy on his tour bus, I asked about the band's melding of country and punk music. I think we saw a legitimate connection between the two. They were both, uh, both styles of music for us as aspiring musicians and songwriters were easy to make sense of and and there was a there was an authenticity and a self-liberation that kind of came with both in our eyes you know um rural southerners uh kind of making themselves in folk and country uh didn't seem that far off from you know suburban uh, la kids making hardcore punk rock or something you know they're just you know, plus the simplicity of the recordings and the simple instrumentation was a lot clearer for us to hear what was going on and kind of learn how to do it. You know, we didn't have anybody showing us how an Aerosmith record was going to be made, you know. <laughs> and But you could just listen to a Johnny Cash record and hear what was going on, you know. Yeah. In the book, you talked about seeing uh, some shows at Mississippi Nights, uh, mm-hmm. And you especially noted two shows that I remember, the Ramon show mm-hmm. and then the replacements with the X show. Can you describe, well, describe the replacements X show and why that was memorable to you? Well, I mean, it was, we had heard about the replacements, but we'd never heard them. Um, so that was a complete revelation just right off the bat, just crazy uh, how how exciting they were and they were because they were the opening band they were being ignored by 90 percent of the audience i don't know if you remember were you at that show i was not yeah it was uh it was a completely empty dance floor and and uh so that was exciting to discover this thing and you were in the well if you lived here the historic under 21 section the the kitty corral is what they called it and then everything filled up and it was, you know, it was a packed, sold out show by the time X hit the stage and they reprimanded the audience for not paying attention to the replacements. I remember that. And um, yeah, it was just a great, great show all the way around. It was one of those shows you kind of can't believe it really happened. And juxtaposed with that, you also talk about some of the shows you saw. You even saw what you mentioned in your book and the story about uh pretending you had written and performed Born to Run when mm-hmm. you were a kid. You eventually saw Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. but you saw him at the arena, Yeah, which I've seen quite a few shows at, and I can say it was it's an empty, hollow-sounding place, no matter who, what, who you saw there. Even Bruce Springsteen in The Who 
couldn't fill up the arena and at that point in time in my my opinion they both felt like um you needed a like a telescope or something not just binoculars it just felt like there was a band performing on another planet where our seats were (laughs) fast forward a few years and by 1994 uncle tupelo had developed a loyal following but internal problems in the band which tweedy writes about in his memoir led to its demise Jay Farrar went on to start Sunvolt, and Jeff Tweedy started Wilco. Wilco's reputation grew in 2002. The band's album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was initially dropped by its label, but Tweedy decided to release it on the band's website. The move gained Wilco a new audience, and the album received critical acclaim. It took risks with song structure and arrangement. It's my father's voice trailing off, sailors sailing off in the morning. Through the air-conditioned rooms at the top of the stairs. He's just been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight. His bags have been pulled and I really want to see you tonight There's bourbon on the breath of the singer you love so much He takes all his words from the books that you don't read anyway He's just been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight His bags have been pulled and I really want to see you tonight In my backyard to show me love My voice is climbing walls Smoking and I want love I'm just been broken My heart is wrapped in ice That's Wilco's Poor Places from 2002's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. (music) 
Jeff Tweedy, in his memoir, spent some time writing about his relationship with guitarist, keyboardist, and singer-songwriter Jay Bennett, who joined Wilco during its first year. Bennett would later die from an accidental drug overdose in 2009. I asked Tweedy how the two of them met. I'd actually seen him play with Steve Pride and his Bloodkin, and I'd seen Titanic Love Affair. Mm-hmm. I believe open, I think they opened up for Soul Asylum one time here in town. So I was aware of Jay, and then he kind of came recommended from a few other people that I knew. Brian Paulson, who had produced the last Uncle Tupelo record and the AM record for Wilco, um, knew of him from somewhere, I'm not sure where, but he, he really strongly advocated for him to be in the band. And that, that relationship sounded like it was really mm-hmm. fruitful, and you can hear it through the, the different releases, but by the time you got to the making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, there was friction in the band, and it always seemed kind of mysterious until, at least to me, until the book came out as to mm-hmm. the sort of driving force. I mean, there's the movie, mm-hmm. uh, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, uh, that Sam... I'm blanking on Sam Jones. Sam Jones made. And that was the point at which uh, Jay was fired. And there's always been a lot of, I guess, sort of banter as to what might have led to that. But in the book, you kind of outline that I guess it was because of the fact that you were... You were on, you were taking opioids, and there were other there was other drug abuse in the band, and you were trying to get away from that. And Jay was mm-hmm. still uh, still using. And Jay was um, was pretty pretty much in denial about it being any kind of problem. I think he looked at it as a as a sustainable lifestyle, honestly. Yeah. And, and I, I was becoming very aware that it was not sustainable for myself. Yeah. But that's just one of a lot of reasons that as a band, not just myself personally, but as a band, his presence was becoming disruptive to feeling like a band, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it, was a tough, it was a tough decision for the whole band, but we, we made it. So... When you got sober and recovered from your drug use, mm-hmm. how did you music change for you, or or did it change? How you saw it, how you experienced it, how you dealt with it when you were writing? I think that the the uh, the relief for me was that it it doesn't really change the part of me that was creative and and enjoyed and and was sustained by the process of making music and writing songs is the part that created in spite of being uh, an addict or, or any kind of mental anguish I was going through. And it wasn't because of any of that stuff. So I was relieved to discover that. Even in general terms, what are the plans for Wilco at this point? Is there anything? We are gearing up to make a record. And, and I think sometime around this time next year should be a Wilco record. That album is likely due out late this year. In the meantime, Tweedy released an album of his first-ever collection of original solo songs called Warm. It's meant as a companion piece to his memoir, a very personal take on life. For example, the song Having Been Is No Way To Be seems to address the public fascination with his past drug addiction. Well, I was naive My shoes were untied Heaven, everything is just fine But the phone 
Having Been Is No Way To Be from Jeff Tweedy's new album of original solo songs. I recently talked with the Belleville native, co-founder of the alt-country band Uncle Tupelo, and current Wilco frontman on his tour bus. His memoir is Let's Go So We Can Get Back. That's St. Louis Public Radio morning host Mike Schran. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. KWMU. 